in the simple context of wins and losses. It was a, a meaningless touchdown. The outcome had already been determined. Waverly 42, McDermott 0. Time for one more play. A, a simple handoff from the McDermott quarterback to a no-name running back that resulted in a game-ending, not game-winning, but game-ending touchdown. In the simple context of wins and losses, a meaningless touchdown. But in the context of life, a touchdown that brought a community to its feet and, according to a mother, changed her son's life. It was the final game of Jake's final season at McDermott. It was also the first football game where he actually played. Jake Porter had a a disorder called chromosomal fragile X, which meant that Jake was mentally and developmentally challenged. But he loved football. For three years, all the way through high school, he practiced with his team. He dressed for all the games, knowing he'd never get to play. Not ever. But in the last game of Jake's senior year, his coach, Dave France, wanted Jake to get into the game. Before the game started, he talked to the opposing coach and just said, Hey, coach, if the score is lopsided in this game, would it be okay if I put Jake in the game for just one down? We practiced the play. He would take a knee immediately, so there's no risk that anyone would hurt him. Would that be okay? Coach DeWitt from Waverly had had met Jake before the game, and the kid's attitude and personality made him smile. So I said, sure, absolutely, absolutely. Put yourself in the stands that evening. With five seconds left in the game, Jake's team is losing 42 to nothing. So McDermott calls a timeout, and the coaches meet at midfield. I'm going to put Jake in now. Okay, no problem. The coaches head back to their sidelines, and Jake heads into the game, but the opposing coach stops, and he wheels around and calls for a second timeout, and he starts across the field to meet Jake's coach. At midfield, he says, hey, touching the ball isn't good enough. He has to score. Uh, you don't have to do that, Jake's coach said. You, you have a shutout. We've only practiced the kneeling play. We haven't practiced a scoring play. The other coach shakes his head and says, just give him the ball. We'll make sure. We'll all make sure he scores. Jake's coach, coach goes back to the huddle. He points to Jake and he says, hey, big boy, you're going to score. Jake starts jumping up and down. The teams line up. The ball is snapped. And on the video, you can see Jake's initial confusion. He's looking for a safe place to kneel. That's what he practiced. His teammates are, his teammates are yelling. <laughs> Don't go down. Don't go down. He stops and takes a few steps, looks around. There's... 21 other players on the field, and every single one of them are pointing to the end zone, yelling, run, run, run. Even the referees are pointing. He starts to run. The Waverly defense parts like the Red Sea, and Jake is off to the promised land. At the 35-yard line, he slows, looks back over his shoulder, only to see players from both teams following behind him. He never looks back again. And when he crosses the line, the crowd rises and roars and players are jumping up and down and women are crying and men are pounding each other in the back, which is how men cry at a football game. And Jake is surrounded with young men whose hearts are so full, it feels like they're going to explode. Wouldn't it have been great to have been part of that, to be one of the coaches or one of the players or even someone cheering Jake from the stands. Instinctively, we we know the story. We understand the point. The point is that kids matter. When it comes to all the stuff we seek and, and go after, few things matter more than kids. And, and you know what? In a few moments, you're going to hear Jesus basically say, kids matter. Not exactly in those words, but close. So welcome to another episode of More Than Bread. This is episode number 92. And to be honest, if you're thinking, I would rather be cheering Jake than listening to this podcast, I get it. 
So a deep virtual bow of thanks for taking 15 to 20 minutes out of your day to join me. On the other hand, if you've been joining us for the other episodes, you, you know what I think. Few things are more valuable for any of us than listening to, learning from, and leaning into the Word of God. We need more than stuff, more than experiences, even more than relationships to find life. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I'm Dan, your host. I'm a pastor. I'm your Bible reader and sometimes scripture explainer. And today I'm going to be reading the last part of Mark chapter 9. Listen as I read Mark 9 verses 30 through 50 from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. And leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know that he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He'll be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Now, let me just pause here and, and make sure you notice that, that a number of times in recent episodes and in upcoming episodes, you're going to see Jesus kind of setting the stage, Jesus preparing his disciples for what is to come, Jesus talking about his death, but also talking at least to some extent about his resurrection. And even though we read it and it seems so clear It was so unknown, so foreign, this idea of death and resurrection to his disciples that they just didn't get what he meant. Verse 33, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in the house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. (laughs) Doesn't that just sound like us? He sat down, he called the 12 disciples over to him, verse 35, and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And then he put a little child among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. Let me just pause again and say that there are some places where I think it's important for us to take literally what Jesus says, not as a metaphor, not like, oh, you should be like little kids and value little kids, but 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 specifically anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. We run around trying to seek the presence of God. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we just need to welcome the kids. <laughs> Verse 38, John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. In fact, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of heaven with only one eye than to have two eyes be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. 
Now, there are so many places that we could land for a few moments of deeper diving into the rest of Mark chapter 9. We have another prediction of his death. We have a glimpse into the relationships between the disciples, with some of them at least arguing over which of them was the greatest. I just want to focus for just a few minutes on this whole kids matter. Be like a kid. Love kids. Welcome kids. Shepherd the kids. Kids matter. We see glimpses of Jesus' heart for kids all through the Gospels. When his disciples tried to shoo little kids away from him, Luke quotes Jesus in Luke 18, 16 and saying, Let those little children come to me. Do not forbid them. They are what the kingdom of God is all about. Matthew 18, 1 through 7 records the same scene as Mark 9. They're, they're fighting and, and Matthew adds some words. Jesus calls over a little child and says, Unless you become like little children, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. See, what compels us about a story like the story of Jake's touchdown is that intuitively we know that kids matter even more than the score. Kids matter. If we welcome a kid, we welcome Jesus. (laughs) If we welcome Jesus, we welcome God into our midst. If we welcome a kid, we set ourselves up to host the presence of God. So what does it take to welcome a kid, to welcome a child, to make a difference in the life of a child, a student, someone from the next generation? Well, it takes time, right? And if I want to make a difference in the life of a kid, my own or another, it'll take time. We'll have to be interruptible. And and if we aren't willing to take the time, aren't we in danger of causing them by our inaction, not, not just by something we do against them, but by our inaction? One of these kids who matter to God, aren't we in danger of causing them to fall? Do any of you struggle with how you spend your time? <laughs> John Orberg writes, some of you think that the reason you don't get everything done is that you don't have the right schedule, or you think you're just not disciplined enough. You don't have the right tools. I, I want to set everyone at ease, he says. Your problem is not your schedule or your discipline. Your problem is there's just not enough time for anything. I mean, think about work. God made us to be productive. Good work pleases God, but how many of us here actually feel like you have enough time to get everything done at work? I mean, come on, there's always one more meeting, one more podcast, one more thing to write, one more thing to do. If you're typical, you will spend, on average, three years of your life just sitting in meetings. Always a little more paperwork. The The Wall Street Journal cited this statistic a, a number of years ago. The average executive spends four hours a week searching for missing information in messy desks and files. Always one more interruption. You know, we let things that don't matter interrupt us all the time while we have no time to be interrupted by kids who matter. Work will always ask for more time. And, and then you go home and that takes time. You spend you, you will spend six months of your life sitting at traffic lights waiting for the lights to turn green. And when you go to get home, how many of us feel that we have enough time to accomplish everything that we should get done at, at home? Can you remember the last time one of your kids or grandkids said, okay, Papa, we played enough. <laughs> Why don't you go back to the office now and see if you can get some more work done? There's not enough time. So we try to find more ways to make more time. We brew instant coffee in microwave ovens and we get streaming TV so we can spend less time watching more TV. Uh, a USA Today writer interviewed experts in different fields like physical fitness and vocational life, relationships, sleep, and so on. And, and all of the experts listed how much time a person needs to devote in that particular area just to get by. Not to be a master of it, but just to get by. Like how much sleep do you need? What do you need to devote to your career? How much exercise do you need? <laughs> the writer totaled all these amounts and they came to about 40 hours a day. 
We need a minimum of 40 hours a day to just get by. A decade or so ago, Andy Stanley wrote a a book called Choosing to Cheat. The idea is that we all have to cheat somewhere in order to make it through life. He's not talking about unethical cheating like cheating on a test. He's simply saying that something or someone in your life is going to get cheated of your time. You can't answer every demand. You can't satisfy every voice. You have limits. You're finite. Somebody in your life is going to feel cheated because the reality is that you don't have enough time. That's your problem. So who are you choosing to cheat? Cornell University did a study one time and attached little microphones to kids and they monitored them for weeks. They found that in America, the average father spends on a per day basis 37.7 seconds talking to his kids. Parenting Magazine pointed out that children spend an average of just 17 hours a week with their parents. You're thinking, well, yeah, but in my family, we we don't get quantity time with our kids. We get quality time, 37.7 seconds of quality time. If you were to ask your kids, what do they want, quantity time or quality time, I, I guarantee you they want quantity. In fact, it takes a quantity of time to get quality time. <laughs> if you have kids of your own, it begins with them. But you know what? James, the brother of Jesus, once said that true religion involves reaching out to kids, being a dad to kids who need someone to Help parent them. Even if all you have is just a little time, what if you were to make a commitment to serve a kid this year, the next few months? A few days after Jake's touchdown, one of the coaches saw a group of quasi-tough kids at his school showing two special needs students how to shoot a basketball. (laughs) It took Jake Porter 12 seconds to run 49 yards Everybody on the sidelines was running step for step with him. When he scored, it changed his life, and for at least a while, it touched a community. As one reporter wrote, a lot of boys played in that game, and when they grow to be old men, they'll forget the details of a lot of the games they played. They won't remember many scores, but not one of them will ever forget the game where Jake Porter scored the only touchdown. A reporter was talking to Jake later about that night, and he closed the interview with a question. He said, what do you want to be next after football is over? A preacher, he said. I'm going to be a preacher. I wonder if he ever realized that he already was. I wonder if anyone can begin to fathom the smile that creased the face of Father God that night in Ohio. What are you doing to make the life of a kid better. Let me read that portion of Mark 9 again, verses 33 through 37 from the message paraphrase. It says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was safe at home, he asked them, What were you discussing on the road? The silence was deafening. They'd been arguing with one another over who among them was greatest. He sat down and summoned the twelve. So you want first place, he said, then take the last place. Be the servant of all. And he put a child in the middle of the room and then cradling the little one in his arms, he said, whoever embraces one of these children as I do embraces me. And far more than me, you embrace God who sent me. Some of us live our lives without ever realizing what a life-transforming reality it is to be God's child. Some of us live thinking that God is at best annoyed with us of all that he does All that he does is provide for us, doesn't really have time or the passion to spend time with us. Some of us think that the best God can do for us is to sit passively and cheer us on in the stands. If you've made the decision to surrender to Christ, then you're part of the family. God is your father. 
And as I close in prayer, I'm just going to do it a little bit differently. I want to speak the Father's words over you. You just close your eyes. If you're able, wherever you are, if not, then just kind of pause and meditate for a moment and imagine that Father God is saying this to you as we pray. Listen to me. You are prized for you're my child. I accept you with grace because Jesus died for you. I recognize your way for I shaped you and I designed you as a masterpiece. If you look around you and listen with your heart, you'll hear the expression of my love. I love you. And no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're in, you need to know that I never have, nor will I ever give up on you. How could I? You're my child. I see me in you. Because you're my child, I deeply desire your best. And because of of that, I, I promise to train you, to shape you, to patiently, lovingly shape you to become all that you can be, which is so much more than you know. So would you let my spirit speak deep in your heart? You're my child. I'm your father. That's a promise you can live by. Keep your ears open for my voice. I love you, God.